For the rest of you, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up with me. Can I believe we just sang the Corby Trot song together? <laughs> People watching on the live stream are trying to figure out what this is. If you have your Bibles, I'm very excited for tonight. Open up to Matthew chapter 14. <laughs> Amen. That's right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The best part is getting into the Word of God. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I'm preaching out of the CSB version of the Bible. Matthew chapter 14. I want to tell you where we were last week and help catch you up to speed. As Devon and Ethan so fantastically said, we have been talking about discipleship. And what's crazy is if you walk around a room of 100 Christians and ask them to define discipleship, you might end up with a lot of different uh, definitions, wouldn't you? If I put you on the spot and said, hey, what is discipleship? We probably would have some different answers as to what that really is. So for us, especially around Easter time, we want to talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to live for Jesus in a world that very clearly is not living for Jesus. How many of you know that we live in a very broken world, right? Even if you're not a believer, even if you're not a Christian, man, we're glad that you're here. Seriously, thanks for being with us tonight. I know you may not agree with the Bible and what we believe, but we're glad that you're here hanging out with us, spending time with us. And you look around in our world, it is very broken. I mean, we have wars, we have racism, we have addictions, like we have broken marriages. Like you can't tell me it's not a broken world. You don't have to be a Christian to realize that our world's broken. And so because of that, when we come to God's word, we find truth, we find solutions, we find answers, we find God himself in his living word. We find Jesus Christ, who is all we need for salvation, the name of Jesus Christ alone. With that, though, Once you get saved, once you become a Christian, a lot of people think that's it, right? That Christianity is you get your title, you get your fire insurance, so you don't go to hell, and then you just kind of do whatever after that, right? It's not the case. In fact, when you repent of your sins, when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you confess him as Lord, that's not the finish line, that's the starting line, amen? Because you start living a life where you now follow Jesus, you live for Jesus, You live by God's word. You live by God's commands. Now your morals, right, your morality is not determined by you. I love you, but you and me do not determine morality. Society doesn't determine your morals. Ultimately, it's God, the perfect being who created all this, that determines our morals, what we're supposed to do, why we're here, how we're supposed to live. A higher being who is all-knowing and all-powerful has already determined what we're supposed to do with our lives and how we're supposed to live. And that's incredible. When you do that, When you live the way God has designed you to live, here's what comes. Joy and trials. Peace and hardship. Both. And so last week we talked about Peter, our man of the three weeks, literally leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. An amazing miracle on the boat. They get all these fish. Jesus meets them right where they are. Well, tonight we pick up in another moment of Peter's life, probably even more dramatic than the week before. Now I wanna say something to you that I've said to our leaders tonight. I know all of you will agree with this. <clears throat> you, can, you can definitely throw an amen behind this if you feel led to. Life is hard. <laughs> Man, you do not have to be an engineer to figure that out, do you, Fernando? <laughs> I love engineers. I'm just telling you, listen, life's hard. You figure that out by the age of eight, nine, five, six. Devon was very clear <laughs> on what age he met Ethan. You find out very clearly that life is hard. There's no way around it. My basketball coach, when I was coaching basketball in the public school system for a number of years, used to say this saying, you've probably heard it, when it rains, it pours. You know what that means? That typically when one thing bad goes wrong, 
a whole lot of other bad things go wrong too. And that's just kind of the world we live in. Life is hard. It's not easy. And even for the believer, y'all know James 1, 2 as well as I do, right? Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. Like we all know that life is very, very hard. And when I was 10 years old, I'll never forget this moment in my life. I was swimming at one of my friend's house. And one thing I have always hated, I don't know how people do it. I still think it's weird. I hate opening my eyes underwater. People that do that are weird. Like if you can do that and not be in pain, power to you. I open my eyes, I start screaming underwater. It burns. It's terrible. And so I was at, I'll never forget, I was at my friend's house. We're swimming in this pool. There's a lot of people here. It was a barbecue. I was about 10 years old and I was swimming underwater and I didn't have any goggles. didn't have anything like that. I'm definitely not going to open my eyes because I'm not a psychopath. And I'm swimming around underwater. It's a true story. You can ask my mom. A bunch of kids in the pool, a bunch of floats everywhere, right? In-ground pool, a lot of stuff going on. I'm underwater, and here's what happens. I want to come up for water. I want to come up for water. (laughs) I'm not a fish. (laughs) Air. I want to come up for air. And I start swimming up to the surface, and I'm feeling pretty good, and my head hits something. Man, you know that feeling, right? I'm going to just describe it, but you know it. Like, there's a float above me with about three kids on it, and they probably felt me pushing it in because they're arrogant. They probably didn't move, as kids are. And I can't get up. Like, I'm trying to get up. I can't open my eyes. I'm scared to open my eyes. I'm 10 years old, and I don't know which way to go. And it was this moment where when my head hit that and I couldn't get to any air, what happened was a moment of panic. Have you ever felt that feeling? Man, you know that feeling. It's tough, isn't it? And I panicked. Here's what happened. I couldn't breathe. My chest got real tight, right? You know, that's when your chest, whenever you start to panic, your ch- I don't know why I did it, what it is, but your chest, you feel your chest get tight. And I couldn't see which direction I needed to go in. And that feeling, it sounds stupid, man, but I'll be honest with you, that feeling of panic and tightness in your chest when you're trying to get up for, for air, but you can't, is a feeling that we're all familiar with because that feeling, hear me out for a moment, that feeling doesn't just come when you're stuck underwater. That feeling happens a lot of times in life when we're stressed, overwhelmed, and anxious, right? Like we all know that moment where you feel that panic, where you feel that that tightness in your chest and you don't know what to do. A lot of times it happens because the worst part about it was I was so close to air, but I couldn't get to it. That's torture. And for a lot of us, we're in a storm, we're in a battle, and we're so close to getting to the solution, but we just can't get there. And so we, we panic. We have this tightness in our chest. We know this feeling. This feeling of panic and tightness happens in your life. This worry, this fear happens when a loved one gets sick and you have no control. When the doctor calls and the diagnosis is not good for one of your loved ones. This feeling comes when your advisor tells you that you're not going to graduate when you thought you did and you're a year behind and you've got to work through that situation. I've had many conversations with college students this semester who are struggling with school. That tightness, that, that panic, that terrible feeling of not being able to breathe happens when we fail a test or when we miss an assignment or when we might fail a class. Like that, We know that feeling in life. It happens to us, that panicky moment when someone we love betrays us or talks bad about us or stabs us in the back and we don't really know what to do. We don't really know where to go. It's the feeling of being overwhelmed. It's the feeling of being pushed to the limit. It's the feeling quite literally of life beating us over the head and we feel like there's no hope. It's the feeling of stress, anxiety, and probably most of all, most present in my testimony, it's the feeling of fear. 
when you don't know where to go? What do you do when that happens? What do you do when life gets hard? You can go to Target and buy a self-help book. You can talk to as many people as you can in your life. You can try to solve that crisis as much as you can. I want to tell you, ultimately, we have to turn to God's word when we are in a storm. God's word is the only thing that provides us with hope and solutions. And so tonight, I want to get as practical as I can as we look at Peter when he is quite literally in a moment of panic. He's in a storm. The wind is battering the ship. And you know that feeling inside of you. A lot of you probably walked in tonight and life is just hard. Let's be honest. You're overwhelmed, you're hurt, you're pushed to the limit, and you want to know what to do. I can stand up here all day long and tell you don't fear, but tonight I want to dig as deep as I can into what it really means to not fear, for God is with us. Is that okay? Does that sound good? I want to give you my title tonight. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down at the top of your notes, and I hope that you are. It's How to Walk on Water. How to Walk on Water. What do you do when you don't know where to go? What do you do when you're in a storm? How do you not sink when life is as hard as it can be? My sermon in a sentence is this. I'll give it to you. It'll be on the screen as well. If I could tell you in one sentence where we're going, it's this. When the storms of life hit, your faith in Christ will determine whether you walk on water or sink. What I know to be true, and we'll leave this up while you're taking notes, what I know to be true is some of you are coming out of a storm and you're feeling pretty good, praise God. Some of you are heading into a storm and you're having to cling to the Lord. Some of you walked in here tonight and you are quite literally in the middle of a storm. In fact, I'll go further. Some of you are here tonight and you're sinking. I don't know who you are. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a mind reader. But you know, some of you are here tonight and you are quite literally sinking because life is too much and you're trying to figure out where your hope is. Tonight, I want to turn you to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that Jesus is alive and active? Amen. He is alive and he is active. And I know that's a great thing to say, but let's flesh it out tonight. You have hope in Jesus Christ. You do not have to sink. You do not have to sink. So as we look at Matthew 14, here's where Peter is. Peter and the disciples are gonna go ahead of Jesus. He's gonna send them on the boat into a storm. They're gonna find themselves in the middle of the sea and Jesus is gonna come to them between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. You know, a lot of times the Lord will wake me up between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Sometimes when I'm obedient, he'll wake me up between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. and call me to get up and go get in his word. Sometimes I win that battle and I get up and I go spend time with the Lord late in the night, early in the morning. Sometimes I disobey, I'm too sleepy, I stay in bed. But I want to tell you, if the Lord ever wakes you up between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., and you just sense a peace and you sense him calling you to go spend time with him, a little extra time, and then go back to bed, do it. I don't know who that's for, but I'm telling you, the Lord has woken me up many times between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. and just said, come be with me. I don't know why, probably because it's quiet. No distractions. Some of your friends are probably up. I'm married and a little older, so all my friends are asleep. Some of y'all friends are just getting to cookout. <laughs> like 4.30 a.m. passed out. We getting back from cookout. You never know when the Lord will call you. And what they're going to do is they're going to see a miracle happen. Look with me at Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. As we just come off of the feeding of the 5,000, this is a pivotal, pivotal moment in the gospel of Matthew as it tells the story of Jesus. Here's what it says, verse 22. Immediately, he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat 
and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Verse 24, meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Now, let's pause for a moment. This is really cool, and I don't know if I'm going to come back to this necessarily tonight, but I want to highlight it very briefly. I think it's very, very cool to see that Jesus puts them into the boat, sends them ahead of him, and what does Jesus go do? He goes to pray. Hear me for a moment, Bryson. As they are heading to a storm, Jesus is praying for them. You know, Scripture in the New Testament, Paul especially, talks a lot in Romans about Jesus being our intercessor, that Jesus prays for us. In fact, he prayed in John 17, the high priestly prayer. Jesus prays for you. Do you know that? That quite literally, hear me, Jesus is the intercessor between you and the Father. And I think it's an amazing picture as we come up on Easter, that quite literally, if you had to stand before the Father, before God, without Jesus, you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. But what's amazing is Jesus is the intercessor. Jesus intercedes for us between us and the Father. And when we stand before God, it's Jesus who has our back. Jesus, who, when we place our faith in him, when we repent of our sins, Jesus is the one who represents you. That's an amazing picture. In fact, when he died on that cross for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the world, he was interceding for you in a way you couldn't do for yourself. You couldn't die for your sins. You couldn't die for my sins. I couldn't die for your sins. You know why? Because I'm not sinless and you're not sinless and I can't pay that kind of penalty. But Jesus being 100% sinless, the perfect sacrificial lamb, Jesus interceded for you and me and died for your sins on the cross. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. I think this is so cool that all through the gospel, Jesus' life, Kaylee, and the way he did ministry is foreshadowing as to what it's going to be like down the road for us. So he would quite literally intercede for them while they're in a storm. So hear me tonight. If you're in a storm, Jesus is the one who intercedes for you. Jesus is there for you. I think that's a great comfort. Let's keep going. Oh, Jesus, we love you. It says this in verse 25. Here's the first miracle. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. Can you imagine? Have you ever seen anybody walk on water? I haven't seen anybody walk on water. Can you imagine the disciples in this moment? Like, take this in. We hear Bible stories. We get so numb to them. Take this in. They're seeing him walk on water. <laughs> like, don't grow numb to the accounts that we find in Scripture just because you've heard them your whole life. Jesus is walking on water. If you go out there and try to walk on water, Without faith in Christ, the way Jesus did, just go out there willy-nilly. You and I are sinking. There is no walking on water. This is a miracle. This is a miracle. This is incredible. Let's keep going. Verse 25. So Jesus is walking on water on the sea very early in the morning. That's amazing. Verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they reacted how I think we would react. They were terrified. They literally cry out, it's a ghost. Like, can you imagine being on that boat? They're like, it's a ghost. Like, they're freaking out. They said, and they cried out in fear. Like, they have no idea what to do. And to an extent, the situation's scary. We're going to talk about this. Like, they're fearful for a reason. They cry out in fear. Here's what Jesus does. Verse 27. Immediately, which is amazing, when you're in fear, Jesus does not wait to come to you. Jesus is right there. Immediately, he meets them where they are. And he says this. Underline this, if you will, in your Bible. It's gold. He says, have courage. 
It is I. Don't be afraid. When somebody who you've been discipled by for a little while, who you've been walking with, who's claiming to be the son of God, <laughs> okay, when he walks out into the middle of your storm, stands on the water in the middle of the storm, and tells you to have courage, you listen. <laughs> he has authority. Three things. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Look what happens next. That's not the only miracle. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him. Here's our man. Peter, I told you, he's a hot shot. <laughs> he's a quick speaker. He takes the lead, man. He jumps out there, and sometimes that gets him in trouble. Here, though, look what happens. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him. Command me to come to you on the water. Can you imagine? I love it. Command me to come to you on the water. What does Jesus say? He says, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. The second miracle. Verse 30, but when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. An amazing prayer to pray wherever you are tonight. Lord, save me. Immediately, once again, Jesus doesn't wait. He's not playing games with you. Immediately, Jesus, it says this, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught a hold of him, and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Understand this, college students, he did not say you of no faith. He said you of little faith. That's a big deal because Peter's little faith got him a few steps out on that water. <laughs> Man, it doesn't take much faith for God to take and do a miracle with. Some of you are here tonight and you're not seeing the miracle in your life and it's because you don't have faith don't have that faith yet, but you can. You can tonight. You can have that faith in the Lord. I promise you, it'll change your life. Here's the last miracle that we see in this text. Verse 32. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. <laughs> Jesus steps into the boat and the storm stops. It's incredible. Verse 33. Then those in the boat worshiped him. Here's the outcome. They said, truly, you are the son of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we're just in awe of your word and how it speaks to us every day. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us tonight, Lord, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us, that you would make us more like you. Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room tonight. And Lord, I do pray that you would just soften their hearts. Lord, I thank you for people in here who are not Christians that are with us tonight. Lord, I thank you for them coming and spending time with us, Lord. I, I do pray that, that they would see you truly how you are, the Lord of the universe, God. But I praise you for them being here tonight. Lord, I pray for all of us here, Lord, that you would save someone who doesn't know you. I pray, God, that you would encourage us, that you would equip us. And Lord, I know on a night like this in the middle of April, close to finals, Lord, there are so many storms and so many battles going on. God, we cling to you. Tonight, we cling to your words to Peter. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. If that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want to give you. Number one, find God's purpose within your storm. One of the very first things practical that I can give you tonight is to find God's purpose within your storm. And I'm going to take a minute here. I don't need to get too off, but I'm going to take a minute. 
Christians, myself included, and the worst at this, are really, really good at making it look like we don't go through storms. Okay? Christians, I don't want to make you mad, but I got to give you some truth. As believers, we're really good at making it look like we got it all put together. Are we not? Don't act like you're, like you're exempt from it. Am I, not, am I right? Some of y'all are like, not me. I do have it all together. Ah. We're really good at it, myself included. We're really good at making it seem like we don't go through storms, we don't go through battles, that we're never really stressed. We do with the people that some people in our lives, but we're really good at making it look like we have it all together. I got a newsflash. I want to remind everybody of something in this room tonight. There's not a single person in this room Not a single person in this room that doesn't walk through storms, trials, battles, and sin. Not a single person. And so if you're here tonight and you're looking around and you think that everybody has it all together and you're the only one that's struggling, you're wrong. You're wrong. My first time walking into The View, that's what I thought. I walked in, I said, first time walking into church, one The View, church. I looked around, I said, man, like like, like Ethan said, I was like, man, everybody got their suits. Everybody's got it all figured out. Everybody's perfect. Like, man, I'm the only one walking through sin and strongholds and hardships. I got newsflash for you. Every single person in here is imperfect, but we have the chance to worship the perfect God. So understand this. You are not alone. And every single one of us in here are walking through stuff. And the sooner that we stop trying to put up this perfect persona, the sooner we'll start growing closer to each other. It's the whole reason of trying to convince everybody else that our life's great, that we don't connect with those around us. So let me get that out of the way. Right here, though, all we have is a collection of miracles. And I hope you believe in miracles. If you believe in Jesus, you have to believe in miracles. Because this weekend, we're celebrating one of the most important ones, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. (laughs) That quite literally, Jesus died for the sins of the world and then rose from the grave three days later. The greatest news of all time. What has not been able to be disputed for 2,000 years It's what has changed countless people's lives. It's changing people's lives in Africa. It's changing people's lives in America. The gospel of Jesus Christ is radically changing lives. And that's what we celebrate this weekend. We don't just celebrate a death. We celebrate a resurrection. We celebrate new life. And what you have right here is Jesus doing the impossible, which is what he's really good at. Matthew 19, verse 26 says this. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's Matthew 19, verse 26. Not only that, you go back to the Old Testament. So many prophecies fulfilled about Jesus. Here's one verse that I love in Jeremiah. It says this, Jeremiah 32, verse 27. Look, I am the Lord. The God over every creature. Is anything too difficult for me? Is anything too difficult for me? This is a bunch of miracles. Jesus walking on water is a miracle. Peter walking on water is a miracle. And then don't overlook the fact that as soon as Jesus stepped into the boat, the storm stopped. Students, what I love about this text is that Jesus does all these miracles in the middle of terrible conditions. Don't miss that. It's so simple, but man, we don't understand it. We think we got to have perfect conditions for God to do a work. Listen, these are terrible conditions. And God does three miracles. Jesus does three miracles. Here's why. It's pitch black. They're in the middle of a storm. The wind is beating the ship up. The disciples really didn't show that much faith with the feeding of the 5,000. They're still very new. Like Peter's faith is a baby faith in this moment. And nobody else got out of the boat. 
These are not good conditions for a miracle as we would define them. But what I love is these are the conditions that Jesus chooses to reveal who he is. These conditions. But a lot of us walk around thinking as college students that we have to have perfect conditions for God to really move. Listen, I'll tell you, God can take a mess and turn it into a masterpiece. I say that, I don't know who said it. I can't take credit for it. I don't know who said it. But I heard somebody say, God can take your mess and turn it into a message. And I love that for Easter weekend because some of you got a whole lot of mess like I do. My testimony, I was telling Sydney Price that not too long ago. I was lost for 21 years of my life, living in darkness. People that knew me when I was in high school are shocked that I'm living for Jesus. The looks on their faces when they see me is crazy because they know it had to be supernatural. They might not believe in the God of the Bible, but they're like, listen, something happened to dude. And I praise the Lord for that. Because quite literally, my life for a long time was a mess. And what I'm so encouraged by is that God has taken my mess and used it for a message to other people that I get no credit for. And God will take your mess and he'll turn it into a message. God will take your hardship and turn it into a story that brings glory to Jesus' name. If you'll get your eyes off of the storm, start bowing down to the storm and start bowing down to Jesus Christ. He can take a mess. He can turn it into a masterpiece. He takes a storm. He takes a pitch black darkness, a hard time, and he does a miracle with it. One of the biggest pieces of God taking terrible conditions and using it to glorify his name is what you saw when you drove in the parking lot tonight. And I'm not talking about my 2010 Ford Explorer, which cannot stay alive right now. I'm not talking about the bike rack on the back of my car that's rusted, too. I got to take that thing off. People keep asking me, do you bike? I'm like, no, look, it's rusted. (laughs) I'm not talking about my car. I'm talking about the three crosses. A Roman torture method. <laughs> Think about this for a minute, man. We're talking about Easter. Some of y'all never thought about this. A Roman torture method, a Roman crucifixion method, right? God quite literally took a symbol of death, literally a symbol of death, and now they're out there on Appling Boulevard as a symbol of hope. Ain't that crazy? The worst act in human history was Jesus Christ dying because he's the one who was unjustified. He did not need to die. He did nothing wrong. That death was yours and mine. It was the worst thing that could ever happen in our world as a perfect savior dying. And yet God took the worst thing in human history and turned it into the greatest thing because it freed all of us from the chains of sin. Man, I wish we had a few service on Sunday morning at Easter. If we, we don't, but if you want to join us at Bellevue, we would love to have you because, man, the resurrection of Jesus is amazing. That's where our hope is. If he can take a cross and turn it into a symbol of hope, what can he do with your storm? What can he do with your battle, your hardship, your trial? And I'm not downplaying your trial. I'm not downplaying your storm. God doesn't cause all of your storms. I promise that God is not causing all of your storms, but God can use all of your storms. Some of you are mad at God because you think that God is causing bad things to happen to you. God is not causing bad things to happen to you. Will he teach you? Will he train you? Will he use those things? Absolutely. But God's not causing all those things to happen to you. But what he is doing is he's trying to get your eyes to stop looking at the wind and the storm and the worries. And he's trying to get your eyes to focus on who he is in the middle of your storm. God can take your mess and turn it into a message. He can turn it into a masterpiece because not only, I'll tell you this, Jesus not only chose these conditions, he sent them straight into them. Jesus put them in the boat and sent them ahead into a storm. Why? And the word made in verse 22, the translation of that is compelled. 
Like there's, that's a very strong, like, you are going ahead of me in this boat, in this storm. Like, that's strong. Jesus is sending them into the storm. Why? And I think it's because of this right here. Jesus is teaching that not every storm you face is a result of disobedience. I need you to hear me. I need you to be encouraged tonight in this. Not every trial you go through means that God is mad at you. That's not how it is. It's not always a product of disobedience. I love this quote when I was studying this in some of my commentaries. It says this, the disciples were in God's perfect will and about to enter a perfect storm. This teaches us that obeying God can sometimes lead to rough sailing. Obedience sometimes brings hardships. It brings trials. And the reason why is because Jesus is a perfect savior, but he's also a perfect trainer. For some of you guys that go to the gym, y'all know this. Y'all know what it's like to have a trainer. I'm not going to the gym. I don't have a trainer. My wife has a trainer at the gym. She wants me to go to the gym. I don't like having a trainer when I go to the gym because I like to be on my own time. Amen? I guess I all got trainers. <laughs> we got an active group here. Thank you. I appreciate you. <laughs> he's a perfect trainer. When I was coaching basketball in the public school system at Bartlett, one of the things we would do, especially when we were getting close to the state tournament, we were prepping our guys. We were trying to get them ready for the tournament. We had a, a decent team, especially the last couple of years. We weren't fantastic, but we had some really, really good young players. We had really good freshmen and sophomores. Our juniors and seniors were not very good. I'll be honest. Like, I love those guys, but they were not very good. But our freshmen and our sophomores were good, and so we had some hope. And what we would do is, in the gym for practice, we would, we would have the gym would be empty, but we'd bring all the guys in, and we would plug up our phone, and we would turn on uh, in the speakers loud loud audio of audiences applauding and cheering. And we would turn it up as loud as we could for our Bartlett guys. And it was tough. It was challenging because they couldn't hear. And it made the environment, all of a sudden the environment decode was not like this perfect, comfortable environment. It was this challenging environment. Here's what happened. I wrote this down. They had to work harder to do two things. They had to work harder to communicate and to listen. When the environment got a little challenging, they had to focus on communicating and listening. What if God is quite literally making your environment a little challenging so that you'll start working on communicating with him and listening to him? Because we saw our players, they would rise up. When we turned that audio up, they started talking to each other louder. They started listening to the coach more, Keegan, because they needed to hear the play to tell the other people to play. They started ramping it up a little bit. Quite literally, Jesus is a perfect trainer. Jesus will send you through challenging conditions so that you'll listen to him a little bit closer, so that you can communicate with the people in your life about where he is taking you and where he's taking them. For some of you, I believe this fully. You are in a storm. You are in a battle. And God's will for you in that is for you to start talking to him and for you to start listening. That's the reason you find yourself in a pit. He's a perfect trainer. He's shaping you. He is shaping Peter. He's put Peter and the disciples in this moment where he is challenging them. And now they are communicating. Peter is talking with Jesus. He's listening to Jesus. Ultimately, as he begins to walk on the water, he starts relying on Jesus. Let's be real, though, college students. That's not most of our response to being trained. When Jesus starts training us, when, when the environment gets challenging, when we're challenged, when we get coached, we tend to, what I wrote down is the big three, we tend to whine complain, and try to find a way out. That's what we do. 
I've seen myself do it, and I've seen you do it. Don't tell me you're exempt from it. We whine, we complain, and we try to find our way out to it. I'll ask you a very tough question. What if God won't calm your storm because you haven't relied on him to? That hardship, that trial, just like Paul, the thorn he had, Paul prayed, Lord, take the storm from my flesh. I said, no, it makes you rely on me. What if God is not taking away that hard time because he's trying to get you to rely on him and stop relying on yourself, your intelligence, your experience, your high IQ, all the things God gave you anyway. And the moment you begin to rely on him, the storm may not disappear. Peter started having faith, started walking on the water. The storm didn't disappear. But when Jesus stepped into the boat, the storm stopped. Some of you have intimate, personal, real, personal layers to you that you have not invited truly Jesus to come do a work in yet. And that's why you still find yourself having such a hard time. I've been there so many times myself. So whatever you're going through tonight, school, relationships, family, whatever it is for you, ask this, what is God's purpose for it? What is God trying to teach you? What's he doing? He's always up to something. Genesis 50, verse 20, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph's brothers betrayed him, threw him in a pit. God had a plan to use it for his glory. Some of you are in a real tough time. What's God's purpose? What's he trying to teach you? Is it patience? Is it faith? Is it hope? Bless you. Is it discipline? For a lot of cautions, it's discipline. To get up on time, get in the word, pray. <laughs> what is it for you? What's he teaching you right now? In ministry, is he teaching you what it means to be a disciple that makes disciples? Selflessness? Not just living for your name and your legacy and who you are, but living quite literally to love other people with the love of Christ and to help shape them to be disciples, just like Trey is doing for Ethan? What's he teaching you tonight? Why are you in the place that you are? If you will get your eyes off the storm and stop whining and stop complaining and just woe is me, if you would just focus on why God has you in the middle of that, you'd find a lesson. You'd find hope. God is trying to take you somewhere tonight. And as Peter begins to sink Jesus reaches out his hand and pulls Peter up out of the water. Heather, is that not a beautiful picture? Baptism. Baptism adds nothing to your salvation. It is the first step of obedience. But what I love about baptism, the ones we've seen here at The View especially, is that literally we're buried with Christ in water, right, in death, and then we're raised to walk in the newness of life. This is foreshadowing. This is a literal picture of baptism. Peter has faith in Jesus. He starts to sink, and guess what? Who pulls him out of the water? Jesus pulls him out of the water, hand in hand. And that's how personal he is to you. 
That's how personal he is. He will hold on to you hand in hand. His spirit as a believer will live in you and will speak to your heart, always scriptural. He will be that personal with you if you will let him. If you will let him. He pulls Peter up out of the water. And he will pull you out of the water too. I don't know what it is for you. Not gonna guess. Wherever you are though, God has the power to raise you up. God has the power to give you peace. That's why I love Philippians chapter four. Do nothing. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, listen to this, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I've told our leaders, Paul says, peace comes when the prayer goes up, not when the answer comes down. It doesn't say once the prayer is answered, you have your peace. It says once you pray, peace comes. Some of you don't have peace, and it's because your prayer life is underwater like I was, and you are not praying. You are stuck underwater. You have that tightness, and you have that panic, and prayer is the supernatural element that connects you with God, and you will find peace. It's not found in a religion. It's not found in a building. It's found in the name of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but I'll give you number two. It says this, fear not, God's presence is with you in your storm. So not only number one, find God's purpose within your storm, but number two, fear not, God's presence is with you in your storm. Jesus makes a few statements. I'm gonna give you a moment to write that down. Jesus makes a few statements. He says, have courage, which a lot of translations translate this as take heart. Here it is right here. He has three things. He says, have courage, take heart. Then he says, it is I. Then he says, don't be afraid. An amazing statement where there's so much in this. My goodness. Now understand, I mentioned this a moment ago. When Jesus says, have courage, When he says take heart, this is an assurance to somebody who has a reason to fear. Understand this very clearly, college students. Here's the amazing thing about how Jesus operates. When he says have courage, he is not downplaying their storm. He is not downplaying their trial. When he says take heart, have courage, Jesus, as as compassionate and understanding as he is, is recognizing that they have a reason to be afraid. Because of the storm, because of the situation, they literally have a reason to be afraid. Man, when college, when your college tells you that your entire plan that you've had is going to fall short, that's terrifying. When a loved one comes to you, when your mom or dad comes to you and they say, hey, we're getting a divorce, that's terrifying to go through. Like we go through things that are scary. I'm not going to downplay your storm, and Jesus doesn't downplay your storm. Some of you have been through it. Some of you have been through some tough stuff. I have in my life. Some of you have had family members turn their back on you. That's scary. Some of you have been physically hurt by somebody. That's scary. That's scary stuff. That's not easy stuff. What I love about Jesus' response is he recognizes, yeah, have courage. The situation is scary. He doesn't roll up and say, ah, The winds aren't that bad. What's wrong with y'all? It's just a little breeze. It's not him. He's compassionate. What does he say first? Trace the line. He says, have courage. 
it is I. Don't be afraid. The answer to their problem is realizing that Jesus is present. What I love about this is that they have a reason to fear because of the situation until Jesus arrives, until Jesus is present. As soon as they realize that Jesus is there, fear is dismissed. That it is quite literally because of who he is that they don't have a reason to fear. Faith, hear me. Your situation may be bad. Jesus' assurance to you is his character. It's his nature. I it is who he is. He turns their eyes to his presence in the middle of their storm. Have you ever thought about how cool it is that Jesus didn't have to calm the waters before he walked on them? He could have. That'd be kind of just as cool, wouldn't it? No, he walked on waters in the condition that they were in. Jesus walked on waters while they were crazy in a storm. And he's teaching Peter that peace doesn't come when the storm stops. Peace comes when you see Jesus coming to you and you start to walk too. He doesn't have to call him and he starts walking on it. And that's what I love. This will be on the screen. Fear is not overcome by escaping your situations. Fear is overcome when you embrace the Savior in your situations. That's what we don't understand. That's why we worry. That's why we stress. That's why we stay in our comfort zone. Because we think if we can escape or avoid a situation, then we will conquer fear. No, 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 no. It is I. The answer to overcoming fear is quite literally who Jesus Christ is in the middle of your storm, that your storm doesn't change Jesus, that God is with you. And some of you have spent so much time thinking about your storm, thinking about your worry. The problem is not that you don't know your battle. It's not that you don't know your crisis. You know your crisis well. The problem is you don't know who Christ is within your crisis. <laughs> That's you and my problem. <laughs> we know the challenges we go through. We know the struggles. We haven't realized who Christ is in the middle of our crisis. He is Lord. He is faithful. And he says that. He says, it is I. I love this because when Jesus says, it is I, there is so much in this statement. I'll turn your mind all the way back to Exodus when God begins to reveal who he is to Moses. It says this. I love this in Exodus 3. You know this. Verses 13 to 14. Then Moses asked God, I love this chapter. If I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. Remember, to, to help you be freed from the chains of slavery in Egypt has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Will you say that with me? I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Ooh. God in the Old Testament begins to reveal who he is, his character, his nature. Who he is is the reason why the Israelites got out of slavery in Egypt. Who Jesus is is the reason why the storm ceased. And who he is is the reason you will make it through your battles. If you cling to him, repent of your sin and trust in him, you have a reason to be encouraged. You have a reason to smile. And I have a reason to smile. Not only that, but Jesus uses this statement again when he's on trial. What we're going to talk about this weekend, Easter weekend, I encourage you, ooh, if you have a mom or a dad or a sister or a brother or somebody in your life, a family member or a friend, and they don't know Jesus, why would you not invite them to Easter service this weekend? This is a home run. This is the best weekend to invite them to come to church, the absolute best. You want to come here to Bellevue? We'd love to have you. You want to go somewhere else? Praise God. I hope they're a Bible-preaching church, a Jesus-loving church. I'm telling you, if you have somebody in your life that doesn't know Jesus, don't waste your Easter. 
Don't make Easter about you and how cool your outfit can be. <laughs> Who can you invite, man? This is what Jesus says when he's on trial. Mark 14, verse 60. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him. Remember what we just read in Exodus. Now look at this with Jesus. It's so cool. Again, the high priest questioned him. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus says, I am. I get chills. I get goosebumps when I read this. I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. I have three practical subpoints to give you of what you can do tonight and this week based off of what we see with Peter. When you're in a storm, A, start with what God has commanded you to do. I'm going to get as real specific as I can with this text. I'm telling you, I, straight from this text, here's what I'm going to give you. Start with what God has commanded you. If you're in a hard time, you're trying to figure out your life, you're trying to figure out what to do, you're trying to figure out where to go, start with what God has commanded you to do. Peter, when he's in the boat, does not move unless Jesus commands him to. Peter has little faith and he is starting to learn that he is going to move based on command of Jesus Christ. What has God commanded you to do? I'll give you a spoiler alert. It's the same for all of us. Our callings differ depending on career and family and stuff like that, but the commands of God don't change. They're in scripture. What he's commanded you to do is to love God, love people, share Jesus, and make disciples. Now, I don't know who this is for. This is for me a lot of times, but I'll just tell you. Think about those four things that you see in Scripture. To love God, love people, share Jesus, and make disciples. Hear me for a moment. If you are not obeying the commands of God, you might very well be the one to blame for the situation that you're in. And listen, I love you, and I say that as somebody who has thrown myself in many pits. Joseph didn't throw himself in a pit. I've thrown myself in many pits due to my disobedience, due to me not obeying God's command. So hear me, as, as clear and as raw as I can say it, if you're having a hard time in your life right now, there's sin, there's a hardship, there's a trial, and you go and you look at God's commands and you're not obeying his commands, don't be surprised when you're in a storm because disobedience brings storms. Disobeying our Lord brings trials. It brings consequences. Sin will always have consequences. And guess what? Because of Jesus Christ, you have the power to break those chains and not to live in those consequences anymore. But you and I are called to obey. So man, if it's love God, do you worship the Lord at a time other than Monday night? Man, I love Jeff Maxwell. We don't need Jeff Maxwell to worship. You don't need me to give you a word. God's given you that through his word. Do you worship the Lord throughout your week? Love people. How do you treat the people in your life? How do I treat the people in my life? Share Jesus. A lot of us don't want to talk about evangelism because it's scary. It's intimidating. Making disciples. A command. If you don't know what to do, start obeying the commands of God. Literally, when you get up out of your seat tonight, I'm telling you, as specific as I can be, if you are in a hard time, when you stand up, do this. Start loving God. It means worship. 
Start loving people. You got hundreds around you tonight. If you want to love somebody, come up to me. I'll take all the encouragement I can get. I'll be right back there by the table, and I'll encourage you too. Love people. Share Jesus. Go out there and call somebody in your life that doesn't know Jesus and invite them to Easter. Tell them about Jesus. Make disciples. Stop making the Christian life all about you and me. Teach it to somebody else. You don't have to be a professional. None of us are professionals. Just start teaching somebody in your life right now what God is teaching you. And you'll start making disciples. Start with what God has commanded you to do. Peter says, I will come to you if you command me to. Jesus says, come. Peter didn't stay in the boat. (laughs) Peter didn't disobey that command. He started stepping, (laughs) which is my second one. B, get out of the boat and start moving. (laughs) If you are in a hard time, if you are in a storm, if you're struggling tonight, Get out of the boat and start moving. Start walking towards Jesus. Get out of your comfort zone. Show some faith. Show some trust. I'm telling you, when you show faith in Christ, he will do things that you never thought he could do in your life. I will never forget. I was talking about it a few moments ago with Delaney. One of the most supernatural experiences that I've ever had with the Lord was during my very first sermon. I've said it a thousand times. I hate public speaking. I hate public speaking. I always have. I've been terrified to stand up and talk in front of anybody. I've said it so many times. And my first sermon at our old building, when I was just the MA, now understand this, I'd been saved for 11 months. I was not a Christian long. Hannah knows this. I was brand new, and I was raw. I showed up to the view. I started cussing. I was like, oh, my bad. I forgot. Like, that's how rough around the edges I was. I I didn't know how to fit in with Christian culture. Still don't. Praise God. I don't know if I want to sometimes. I showed up to the view. I start getting discipled. I come on staff. I get a chance to preach my first sermon. (laughs) I had six weeks to prepare. And boy, I used all six weeks of them. (laughs) I started working on that joker. I started memorizing. I had the whole sermon memorized word for word. I wasn't even dating Hannah. And I practiced it. I let her read the whole thing. I practiced it by her because I liked her. And I was like, all right, (laughs) preach a sermon to her. She'll like me. Not proud of it, but you know, what are you going to (laughs) do? Preach the whole thing to her. I knew it. Frontwards and backwards. I can still, I could tell you my sermon tonight. I could preach that sermon with no notes tonight. That's how much I know it. It was on John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I was sick for six weeks. Like, I was nervous. The amount of times I threw up in the Bartlett High School basketball gym uh, locker room, because that's where I was coaching, I was sick over this sermon. I thought about backing out 15 times. Even like a day before, I was like, man, can I have a stomach bug or, you know, get out of this? Like, I was sick. I was anxious. I was worried. An hour before the sermon, still sick. It's not going away. I'm terrified. I start thinking up excuses like, how can I get out of this? I got to tell my pastor something. Like, I'm nervous. Like, I'm telling you, I'm a heart beating on my chest. 30 minutes before the sermon, I'm still sick. I'm making up excuses. I'm like, I can get out of this. I can get out of this. Seven o'clock hits, that 10-minute countdown comes on. Y'all already know. I was watching every second of that thing. I was like, please pause, please pause, please pause. You know? It's like 7.08. I remember, I'll never forget it. Jeff Maxwell comes out with his fresh sneakers, cool outfit. He had them on back then. He come out, starts doing his worship set. We're like the third song in, and I am about to puke again. <laughs> like, I'm nervous sick. I have all these things going in my head. It's out of my comfort zone. It's the worst thing ever in my entire life. And this is my last chance to cancel <laughs> which I didn't know what they would do if it was a third song and I back out, but it was my last chance. And so I walk up from the right side, as I do now. I walked up, 
We didn't have a table. We had a little music stand. That's right. And it was raggedy. This thing would go like this. He tried to preach. Boom, it would lean. I mean, it was raggedy. It would rock. Jeff Maxwell starts praying. Six weeks I've been working on this sermon. Sick the entire time. I set my Bible. I set my notes on it. And I stand there. And there's no going back. This is it. I realize in this moment, I am preaching this sermon. This is really happening. And while Jeff Maxwell was praying, I've told this story to loved ones, but I don't think I've ever used it as an illustration before. As I was standing up there, I experienced something with the Lord that I've never experienced in my life. As I stood there while Jeff was praying, I was right here where I am with you guys. For the first time in six weeks, every ounce of fear and stress and worry completely went away. And I hadn't said a word. And that's the moment I knew I was called to preach. I told people that story, they don't believe me. It was before I ever said a word of my first sermon that I knew this is what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And I stood there, and as Jeff was praying, every ounce of fear went away, and I didn't know it in this moment, but as I thought back to that in hindsight, I realized why. I was out of the boat. I was out of the boat. There was no turning back. I was still sick, Jacob, 10 minutes before because I could back out. As I'm standing up there, it's me. We're preaching this thing. And in that first moment of faith for me as a young believer, I felt more peace than I can, than I can even tell you. And I don't tell you that to glorify me. It has nothing to do with me at all. But I learned in that moment, when I get out of the boat, when I start walking to Jesus, when I show faith, the storm does cease. There is peace. For some of you, you have not experienced that peace because you have not stepped out of the boat. You are still in your comfort zone. You won't let faith take you where fear is trying to keep you from. But faith overcomes fear. Jesus overcomes it. What is it for you tonight? What is God calling you to take a step of faith in? And if you'll just take one step, one step, God will honor it. I have one final point, and it's this. See, get your eyes off of the world and back onto Jesus. As you're writing that, I want to invite the band to make their way back out here. We'll leave these on the screen. I want you to make sure we get these. The band's going to make their way back out here. These are three very... Practical action steps to start tonight. What we see Peter do, Peter begins to obey the commands of the Lord. He gets out of the boat. He starts moving. And when his eyes are on the world, he sinks. But when his eyes are on Jesus, he walks on water. 